Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Many teachers often say that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Many other teachers would disagree. I wouldn't necessarily call the lawyer's question today stupid, though I might call it illegitimate. Illegitimate, you see, because it isn't really a question that is asked for the sake of obtaining useful information. It isn't as though the lawyer truly does not understand who is my neighbor, but rather he already has in his mind an answer to that question. He already has a pre-prepared script that he wants Jesus to follow. He already has his own ideas about how this question would be answered. All he is really waiting for is for Jesus to give his peace so that this lawyer can find some reason to write him off. Some reason for him to be able to say that I am in the right. I know truly who my neighbor is. I have truly done as the law of God requires. Therefore, I may be certain of my own righteousness. 
There is, on the one hand, the question that is actually asked, and who is my neighbor? But then behind this, there is, shall we say, the real question. How do I make sure that I am in the right? How do I make sure that I am just? How do I make sure that I am doing what I must do? That is, of course, the real question that this lawyer wants answered. And here, too, he has his own idea of how that should be answered. He already has in his mind that he is righteous, that he has no need for this repentance and the forgiveness of sins business that Jesus has been talking about. He wants to find some way to stick it to Jesus, some way to say, I have no need of you. He may not even understand that this is truly what he is seeking, but it is the very desire of his heart that Jesus, perhaps better than this lawyer himself, truly understands. And while it is, I would say, an illegitimate question, nevertheless, it is a question that some people legitimately do have. This lawyer may have asked the question for the purpose of justifying himself, but it is a question that doubtless was on the minds of many people. Who is my neighbor, after all? If we take the word at face value, a neighbor simply means a person who lives near me, a person who lives on the same street or the same neighborhood, the same town and city, maybe if we were generous, the same county or vague geographic area as me. But we all also understand on some level that this can't really be all God is talking about. God wouldn't really give us a commandment that was so narrow, so parochial, so limited, as though the Ten Commandments only applied so long as a person lived on the same street or in the same zip code, the same county, or what have you, but that somehow everyone beyond those geographic boundaries is exempt from the duty for me to love. And likewise, it would be just as absurd if this were the case, for the very minute I move, the people whom I have thus far been loving and serving as neighbor suddenly become strangers to me. No, it cannot be mere geography. It must be more overreaching than that. But indeed, could it also be everyone? Every single person on the world is my neighbor? And that, too, doesn't really seem to square because, after all, there are way more people in this world than I could reasonably serve. Even if I should live 10,000 lifetimes, how would I ever be able to love each and every person on this world as though they were myself? I have not the capacity to do this. Can it really be that universal, that broad, that thinly stretched. Both extremes seem to have something about them that just doesn't work. But then we're right back at the beginning, aren't we? Well, then who is my neighbor? 
Who is the one that I am to love as myself? My first love belongs to God, that much the law is clear of, but who are these people in my midst whom I am to love as my own flesh? Where is the line drawn? Yes, it may be an illegitimate question on the part of a lawyer, but sometimes even an illegitimate question requires an answer. And an answer our Lord gives us. He tells of a man who is going down to Jericho from Jerusalem, a man who is beset by men of ill intent, left beaten and half dead along the side of the road. And the three men who come across him, each responding to this man's need very differently. A priest, the holy man of God, one who had all of the outward trappings of religion, goes by on the side. A Levite, a servant of the temple, one who had every single capacity to help this man in his need, he too walks to the side. And then a Samaritan, an outsider, a foreigner, barely family to the Jewish people, a man who really had nothing to do with any of this, a man who realistically was probably on this road for the sole purpose of getting through the land as fast as possible, getting to the other side of Judah, getting to the other side of those people who had such ancestral hostility to his kith and kin. He had every reason to just go to the side of the road and move on. Get through as quickly as possible. Don't waste your time. Certainly do not give any of the people in this land an opportunity to accuse you of being the one who has done this harm. And let's be honest, we know that that was a very real possibility. How often do we judge with our own eyes, see a person who doesn't look like us, see a person who we would not associate with normally, see them in circumstances that to our eyes seem peculiar, and then immediately in our heart of hearts, we believe we know what happened. We believe that we can offer judgment to this situation, that of course we know why things are the way they are, and we know that that person is certainly the one at fault. We do it today, they did it then. Wherever human beings are to be found, you shall find these divisions, people judging with their eyes, people judging without the full breadth of facts, people judging in unrighteousness according to their own standards and prejudices. It is very evil, but very human. And we can imagine that the hypothetical Samaritan in this circumstance thought the exact same thing. Will this good deed of mine go unpunished? Indeed, I'm sure he had that thought. And yet he, of all three men, was the only one who truly had compassion. He was the one who, in spite of having every reason to simply go his own way, he was the one who stooped down. 
He was the one who was willing to get down into the filth and muck of the road, willing to get blood and all other manner of uncleanness upon his own hands, willing to give up his own oil and wine so that he might bandage up the wounds of this man, willing to give up the sweat of loading this man onto whatever beast of burden he may have, or indeed even carrying this man on his own back, that he might bring him to an inn and give his own money to see this man be safe. He, though he had no reason to do these things, was the only one who did it. Not out of any selfish compulsion, not out of a mere sense of obligation, solely out of love and compassion. Who was a neighbor to this man, our Lord asks. And here is a true and legitimate question. And even this lawyer seeking to justify himself, well, he just can't. I'm sure that as this parable was being given, every single excuse was racing in the back of his mind. I'm sure he could have given you chapter and verse on every reason why the priest shouldn't have contaminated himself with the blood of this man. Could have given you every single ruling as to why the Levite was in the right not to get down and to get involved in this situation. But the evidence of compassion overrules all that. And in spite of every attempt to justify himself, the lawyer can do naught but give the answer that our Lord has so clearly drawn up for him. Who was a neighbor to this man? It was the one who showed mercy. The one who didn't go into the situation with a preconceived notion of who was worthy of his service and who wasn't but the one who simply saw a man in need and whose heart was overfilling with compassion. This is the one who truly proved to be a neighbor, not the one who had the blight blood, not the one who was on the right street or the right zip code, not the one who fit any of the preconceived notions of who ought to be a neighbor to this man, but the one who actually did the work one who is willing to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of another. And so indeed, we might answer both questions now. The first question, who is my neighbor? Well, that has been pretty well answered by our Lord, but just to sum it up, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is the one who needs your help. Your neighbor is the one who is in need of your compassion and whom you have the opportunity to serve. And it may be that that person is indeed on your street or in your zip code or in your city. And I dare say that owing to the problem of not being able to help everyone, that maybe those are the people who you should be the most immediately concerned with, the people whom you have the greatest opportunity to do good for. But it may also be a stranger. It may also be a foreigner. It may also be someone who you will never see again. Someone who will momentarily benefit from you and then, for all intents and purposes, disappear. 
It may be a person who never will be able to repay you for the kindness that you showed them. And yet, as that person has need of you, as that person is also one who has been created by God and for whom our Lord Jesus Christ has bled and died, in that moment, in spite of everything else, that person is your neighbor. That is the person whom you are called to serve, the person whom you are called in that moment to sacrifice on their behalf, to give up of yourself so that they may prosper. But now the second question, the question behind the question we said. How will this lawyer be justified? Or for that matter, forget the lawyer, how will we be justified? Well, I would submit to you that there is really only two figures in the parable that we might seek to be. We might seek to be the Samaritan, the man who did all of this laudable service on behalf of the one who needed him, giving up everything that we have for the sake of another not counting the losses that we may experience in this life as worth the needs of our neighbor, but rather giving up from ourselves, giving to them, gladly suffering all deprivation in this life for the sake of another, not counting our own needs, but rather esteeming the needs of someone else. We could be that person. But are we? I'm not. And frankly, I doubt you are too. Because I know that I very often am the priest or the Levite in this parable, simply going the easy path, walking around the difficult person in my life who really needs my help, and instead just getting home fast as possible. I know that I frequently cannot muster up the compassion for others that I know that I ought to. I know that I, like that lawyer, am constantly trying to draw lines of who is worthy of my love, who is worthy of my labors, who is worthy of my sacrifices, and I am constantly trying to justify myself according to my standards and not God's. And I know that that isn't just me. I know that that is a very human thing. That indeed, I know you have drawn your own lines. You have come up with your own standards. You have walked to the side of the road when you knew that you could help. You have felt guilty about it later, but you have also suppressed it, saying, what really could have been done? I have done it. You have done it. Every person listening to my voice on the radio has done it. Every person who shall hear a recording of this from posterity has done it. Indeed, it is what all men have done. Except for one, that is. Except for Jesus. Jesus who looked upon us in our pitiable estate Jesus, who was at the very right hand of his Father from eternity past, 
Jesus who possessed all glory and power and dominion, Jesus who had absolutely no reason to dirty his hands, Jesus who knew the only thing that would happen, the only thing that would come of this good deed would be suffering and pain and torture, Jesus who had every reason to say, forget them, this is what they have chosen for themselves, I will have no part of it. And yet, his heart was so filled with compassion that he could not simply walk aside. There was no reason for Jesus to come to us. There was only love. There was only a heart so filled with mercy that even he could not stand by. A foolish love, a frankly stupid compassion but a compassion so boundless that he was willing to set aside the glories of heaven for a time to get down onto the dirty path, to get his hands stained with his own blood and with the transgressions of many in order that he may provide for us everything that we need. And truly that is the answer to our lawyer's question. He cannot be the proverbial Samaritan as much as he wants to, and indeed we cannot, as much as we know that we ought to be. So the only thing that remains for us is to be the man who lay bloodied and near dead on the side of the road. To simply accept what Jesus has come to offer us. To simply be the recipients of this love. To not contribute anything for ourselves, for indeed, what could we contribute? We had no wealth, no clothing even. We had nothing with which we could repay this generosity of our Lord, and yet he still gave it to us abundantly. All we can do is be thankful, be joyous, to treasure in our hearts the abundant mercy of Jesus that has been shown to us that in our state of pitiable lament, he was pleased to show his mercy, that he was pleased to give of his own treasures so that we may be enriched, that he has promised us that if there is any debt that needs still be repaid, that he shall repay it, that of the fullness of his mercy there is nothing that we are lacking, and indeed that we have been set into his Father's house, greater than a mere roadside inn, that we have been brought into the heavenly places through his blood, and there we rest secure. There we recover from the wound of our sin. There we await the day of our resurrections, when our bodies shall again be made whole, when we shall be clothed with the kingly raiment of Christ's own righteousness. And even today we have this promise, that all these treasures Christ has given to us, and he will gladly give even more. For who is our neighbor? It was Christ, first of all. Christ, who though he was furthest from us as is possible to be, still had compassion. And Christ, whose love reaches across all boundaries, even the boundary of death and sin and hell, so that he might pull us to himself and that we may be his own. 
So what shall we do? Well, do try to be the Samaritan. Our Lord did say, do, go and do likewise for a reason. Try. It's tough, I know. Your neighbors aren't always the most pleasant people to serve. But remember the compassion that was shown to you and show it to others as well. But above all, keep your eyes on Christ. Christ, better than even the Good Samaritan. Christ, who brought you back from the dead. Christ, who set you in his Father's kingdom. And Christ, who is coming for you again. May he fill you with all joy and peace as we await the day of his coming. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.